Thanks for listening to another life-transforming message from the team here at C3 Southwest Washington. To find out more about our church, visit c3swwa.com. You know your Christmas card that you've sent out to, you know, everybody around you that shows everybody posed in a beautiful, harmonious, loving fashion, right light, no imperfections. It took you 400 pictures to come up with that one. Or maybe you have a picture of the manger scene, soft glowing lights at night. Not The card's not stinky. It smells really good. The angels aren't terrifying anyone. They're just casually hanging out in the back. Ain't cows just lowing around a manger, not defecating, not doing what they would normally do, but we've, we've really sanitized the, the Christmas story, and I really want to challenge you to step out of that sanitization and look at the gospel for what it is, because the strength of the gospel is the fact that it arrives in an imperfect setting, much like your life, with imperfect people, imperfect scenarios, imperfect government, all of the things that we experience in life. And so looking at the scripture, I want you to see what's really stated here. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 20, simply says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so I want to challenge you with a thought today that I've entitled, uh, Convictions That Are Forged in the Fire. Because what's going on in the life of Joseph at this moment is pure fire. Pure fire. If you could just see beyond the Christmas card, I think you'll see some reflections of your own life. So let me pray. Father, thank you for each person in this room, for each person who's at home. These are good people, Lord, who have a heart that's being directed by you. You're at work in their life. Lord, we're in an imperfect world. But the beauty of this story is it takes place in a completely imperfect setting. And the miraculous that you do, the things that you build, the breakthroughs that happen, the divine selection that takes place. Lord, we can grab onto it because it's, it's, it's so comparable to our lives. And Lord, you're not a respecter of persons. You love us each. We have a different destiny, a different purpose maybe, but your heart for us is just the same. So touch your people. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. You can be seated. Give the Lord a hand before you're seated. Uh, also, worship team, great job. Give our worship team a big, big hand and our tech team. I just, I just really wanted to honor just for a moment uh, Abby Mowry because her family's been going through incredibly difficult season this past week. Mom and dad have traveled back to be with family, the passing of her grandfather. And uh, we had some discussion before our gathering began that sometimes this is real life. You knuckle down and you, you still serve and you do your best ministry sometimes under fire. And I think for somebody who's 16 years old who's been able to do that, uh, you are a remarkable example to us all. So thank you for being who you are, okay? Amen. Awesome. Um, so let me give you the definition for the word conviction uh, as it applies to scriptural uh, concepts. It's the idea of a firmly held belief based 
on a biblical principle. In other words, if I said I have the conviction, as Paige was discussing earlier, the idea of first fruits, of giving your first to God, that's something we find in Scripture, and over time, I lock into that principle, and I live it out. It's something that, that's a conviction. Um, let me ask you this question. Dave Ramsey would ask this question. How many of you believe it's important to save? Just, you know, at home and around, raise your hands, right? Now, I won't ask you to raise your hand this next question, but do you know that out of the American population that less than 30% of Americans uh, have more than $1,000 saved in the bank? And furthermore, that 56% of Americans have less than $5,000, which is not enough to make it through an entire month. And here's the breakdown that I'm trying to point out is everybody believes that it's important to save, but very few people actually do. And so what I want to help you to see is that it is critical that we step into spaces where what we believe are becomes things that we act out and live out. It's so important. There are moments when your convictions will be tested and sometimes tested by fire. Every time money is placed in your hand as a paycheck, if you believe in savings, it's going to be tested. I take a percentage of my, my income immediately and slide it over to savings. You know why? For years it was tested, and while I believed savings was important, I did not have it as a conviction. It's only a conviction if it's been tested, and then through that testing, you develop the commitment to what you say you believe. Um, the testing of your belief will reveal unbelief, or it will reinforce your conviction. Um, you know, as we look through scripture, we see that, um, that uh, uh, convictions are firmly tested. We look through uh, Joseph's life and we look at the scripture. His convictions are being tested all throughout this Christmas story. That definition lets us know that it's a, it's a firmly held belief. In other words, it's in my hand, but it's been tried to be pried out. It's firmly held because if it were loosely held, it would be removed. But I've learned to grab onto it tightly so that I can navigate forward. It's strong biblical conviction. And that actually leads to a posture of strength in the things that you do. You step into a moment with strength because you're confident of your course of actions and what comes next. And those strong biblical convictions not only lead to strength, but they will lead you into the very best that God has for you. Because the word always reveals what God's best is and how it's achieved. And so that's why you want to develop strong biblical convictions so that when they're tested, you step through the test and you experience not only strength, but all the good things that come along with that proper decision, if that makes sense. And so it's a moment like this morning. I think it was a key moment when Abby was singing and she was talking about um, up out of the fire, I think it was some of the words of raise a hallelujah. And as I just stood there, the, the power of what she was singing based on the conviction of what she was doing carried a profound weight to it. To listen to somebody talk about my God heals and they've been healed. Or they're the type of person that chases down people to see them healed. You know, the person uh, who's adamant about, I don't care how I look at this moment. This man is sick, and I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to offer to pray for him otherwise. becomes a powerful moment where our convictions are tested, but then strengthened because we honor them and we push past them. There's a uh, fairly interesting quote. It says, regardless of what is said, in the end, Actions will always reveal what is truly believed, and they will also unlock 
their due reward. What you believe doesn't unlock the reward. Your actions will back up your belief system, unlock the reward. If you believe in savings, your actions of saving will unlock the reward of having a nest egg in trying times or the ability to go out and enjoy good times. A belief that God heals when you step beyond the awkwardness of, hey, can I pray for you, unlocks that opportunity for healing to land on that person that you're praying for. So we have a key role to play. And I just want to point out a couple of convictions that are uh, meat, I want to say it this way, meat and potatoes. I'm not going over here to woo today, just really strong meat and potatoes that we see in Joseph's life. But you understand that God has gifted him with the opportunity to raise his son. I want you to think for a moment if you're holding your firstborn in your hand and you know that for some reason you are not going to be physically present in your child's life, who would you select to raise your child in your behalf? I mean, can you imagine that vetting process? The thick question, questionnaire that you would uh, put out, on the, out there and all the requirements. And so God has seen something in Joseph. It's not just a matter of needing someone and Joseph's available. It's not random selection. It's not a lottery. It's calling, but it's also qualification. There's some great things that God has for your future, and your future gets tested by fire to see if you'll step into the things that you truly believe that then allow you to stand up underneath the weight of all that you will face. And so it's meat and potatoes. Sometimes we think that people arrive to these great spots in life. They start a phenomenal business, or they develop an incredible talent, or they have a dynamic ministry, and it all just happens by chance. I want you to know that every one of those is absolutely tested by fire so that when they arrive at that moment, they can stand up underneath the weight of the responsibility. So the first conviction that really steps out to me of Joseph is that he had a strong work conviction. And I know that's not real sexy in the world that we live in, but I appreciate Nate Semlick uh, in our student 3x10 a few weeks ago talking about uh, the value of working hard and not being lazy. And coming from a student, I felt like that was an incredibly valuable message. How many of you understand that your work is a greater form of worship than your hands raised this morning in church? I heard somebody at one point tell me, they kind of bragged that, well, I'm just, I'm just actually kind of lazy, and they kind of championed that kind of idea, and that is so contrary to what Scripture teaches. God put Adam in the garden to do what? To work the, the ground. His, his, his part of his divine function was to step into that environment and work. Work glorifies God. It's one of the reasons why I love the capitalistic principle in the United States. You work hard and you achieve things. It doesn't mean you're stingy. You do share, but you work hard. In Scripture, we discover uh, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, um, that Joseph was uh, a carpenter. We see that as expressed over Jesus' life when he's a little bit older. He even taught his own son how to work hard. You uh, one of the things I love about Rowena is that she's always required our kids, now who are grown up and moved out, but who she's required them to participate in the cleaning of the house, the washing of their laundry, all sorts of things. And it's an incredible value to train your child to work hard. Mom and dad, I know they're going to complain. I know that they're going to fight back. Teach them to work uh, at home. Teach them to work. 
Work honors God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. We would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him what? Not eat. So God is the, the, the uh, revealer of this principle. And to have this as a conviction will get you up in the morning time. I go a step further. Uh, I love that Joseph is a business owner. He's, he's got a company that he's likely running. He's not just a carpenter building little wooden toys. He's likely a mason. He's probably involved with all of the trades to build a facility. And his work is worship. And understand that his work is also being tested at this moment, much like maybe yours is. Why? Well, there was a census being taken by the government, which required him to shut down his business and travel to a distant place, and he was unable to work. Let me tell you something. Scripture has a lot more to do with your life than maybe you realize it. This is the imperfect situation. This is, there was a government mandate for ridiculous things. Now, I don't know where he fell on all this stuff, but I do know this. He navigated his way through and fought to keep his business going because he raised his son to become a carpenter as well. Let me give you the second conviction. Wow, you're like, Steve, you're already done with that point? Yes, I am. Okay. So second thing, and let me just push into this, and uh, I, I want you to understand this, that um, we all have a past. When it comes to convictions, go from today, okay, with all of this. If you were lazy on the last point, it's time to step up to the plate and say, I'm going to glorify God in all things. I'm going to work hard, okay? And let's also look at Joseph's strong conviction regarding marriage. First of all, he's engaged. That reveals his honor for marriage in a world that honors every other type of union and institution. If you think what's going on in America is uh, getting crazier and crazier every election cycle, as, it, as it's related to sexuality, as it's related to marriage and all sorts of other unions, you are mistaken because Rome was one of the worst environments for all of these things. Just do a little research. Just do a little study. But what I love in the midst of the crazy culture, Joseph had a passion to honor God regardless. And so he was engaged. That reveals his honor to, for marriage in a world that was honoring other things. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Now, this is a scripture written to uh, New Testament believers, and it commands us to still, regardless of what's going on in the culture, let's honor the institution of marriage. I remember uh, prior to me knowing Christ, I thought, what's the point of getting married? Why would you want to do that? She, you know, not get married. It's the same basic thing. And yet scripture teaches otherwise. And I remember as soon as I gave my life to Christ, there was a shift in that idea for me that, no, 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 I'm going to do it God's way. And God's going to honor me if I do it his way. You acting out the principles of God that you say you believe then unlocks 30 plus years of a fantastic marriage. Not perfect because I'm involved with it, close to perfect because Rowena's involved with it. But I can tell you that had I not become a Christian and just operated according to my own principles, my life would look tremendously different. Not only does he honor marriage, but he's also not had a sexual relationship with his fiance. And it goes on in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, to command that kind of concept, where it goes on to say, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. And, and, and you got to, listen, let's, let's pause for a second, because we got this idea that, well, it was easier back then. Excuse me? It was easier. What? Listen, 
When there is a strong attraction, uh, attraction between two people, it's very, very real. Words do not need to be communicated. If you were ever 15 years old or, or 54 years old, it's, it's very real. And Joseph is a young man, probably actually a middle-aged man, with a beautiful woman that he's engaged to, and yet he has been able to toe the line to honor God, to wait for marriage in order to be able to spend time with her sexually. This is always going to be tested in our culture. I want to challenge you that how to win this battle. It is, it is so easy. Let me, give you the, let me give you the recipe for how to lose this battle. Whether we're talking about waiting till marriage or keeping your marriage pure, keeping your eyes pure, dealing with pornography, let me give you the plan of how to fail. It's really simple. Have no plan. The absence of a plan means you will drive right into that, that fierce, uh, fierce grip of the wicked one and find yourself replicating failure over and over. The beautiful thing for Joseph in this situation, and we don't see what it was, but he had a plan. How do you plan for a flat tire? You have a spare in the trunk. How do you plan for months of not working? A savings plan. How do you plan to not have sex with your girlfriend? Well, I'll just give you, it could be really simple. Just have a conversation. Hey, let's not do that. Then maybe say, hey, let's pray about this together. Hey, Lord, help me. You help me. Amen, amen. Let me tell you something. Once you have that conversation and that prayer, there's a, there's a, there's a thing that you've just created that you might not cross. You hopefully won't cross. But it's going to be harder to cross because you gave your word and then you asked God for his help. How many of you know he will help? He really will. And maybe like a rule like uh, we don't lay down together on the couch. One person standing at all. You know, I, you don't have to get in this like I tie my hands behind my back and one leg up like hogtied when we're together. And I don't mean crazy, crazy stuff, but just really simple, practical stuff. Yes, it's romantic to be a teenager maybe and lay down on the couch and watch a movie together. Maybe in your mind. But that's a failure of a plan because it allows the attraction to have an on-ramp into the very thing that you don't want to be able to do. Now, I'm going to tell you that Joseph, because of his convictions, opened the door for the opportunity of a lifetime to raise the Son of God. Don't allow the door of your future to be closed because you don't develop strong convictions, okay? This is what my challenge is to you moving forward. You know, a little bit farther, when he discovers that his fiance uh, is pregnant, it's fascinating what his decisions are. He, he, he's honoring still the institution of marriage because the only grounds for divorce are infidelity, of, of something being unfaithful. It's not a command, it's not a command that if somebody's been unfaithful to you to get a divorce. But what I love about Joseph's course of action is that he's dealing with it. Some people don't deal with infidelity in marriage, and they just turn their blind eye and hope things are going to get better. That'll never work out. But Joseph leans in, and he's formulating a scriptural plan. Anytime you base your plan on scripture, I'm telling you, God is going to honor that, even in the tough moments. Now, the beautiful thing is she was innocent. And God was able to speak to him and capture his heart and capture his attention. But he was a man who honored scripture. Um, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of people, and let me just push back against culture. And this is not young adults. This is grown, grown adults, facial hair for the guys and all. It's amazing how 
Many, many people in, in this day and age, they believe a thing, and yet I will hear them say, I know I believe this, but hey, God's going to forgive me anyways, and so I'm going to do it. I'm going to go ahead and make the wrong choice. Um, there's a lot of truth to what they're saying, that yes, God will forgive me. But I can tell you this, if I take a hacksaw and cut my leg off, it's going to burn like the dickens, okay, for significantly. And while the pain may go away at some point, I'm going to spend the rest of my life hopping. Telling you that there are repercussions in forgiveness. God will forgive you, but you have now demobilized, immobilized a portion of your life that maybe is, is a catalyst. It's an it's a opportunity that the, the, the strength, especially in the, in the case of Joseph, the woman that he married was one of the greatest strengths of his life. Blessed is Mary above all women. I mean, she's a great young lady. I can assure you she was a great woman, a great mom, a great partner in life for Joseph. Thank God that he didn't just say, well, you know what? I'll just cut my leg off. God will forgive me. He would have been cutting off some of the greatest strength of his life. Take pause if you think to yourself, well, I'll go ahead and do it anyways because God will forgive me, regardless of what we're talking about. Actually, that statement is the revelation of a lack of conviction. Because conviction is saying, I know what God is saying, and I'm going to do it regardless. I believe it. And so to say he'll forgive me anyways is actually the revelation of the very opposite. Let me give you a, a, the, the most fascinating one to me, Joseph's strong conviction uh, to honor. And I think of anything that I looked at that was powerful to me in the culture that we're living in, in, in my upbringing, actually, this was a profound portion of scripture. I got to be honest, I got stuck here and I'm probably a little still stuck here. And I've been working on this for the last few years. But this is a profound thing that I see in Joseph's life. When I consider Joseph and the fact that his fiance has become pregnant, not by him because they've not been married, and really the story that an angel, the Holy Spirit has impregnated her probably is not going to sell on the street with your friends or your family. I begin to think about the reflection that that has back on him as a man, as a, a committed man to marriage and all of these other things that I've already mentioned, about how it reflects on him in culture. And the fact that in a moment like that, when we experience failure, in stepping back, we want typically to do everything we can to step away from the chaos and to make it very clear that I am not the one who created this, right? You see it happen. Uh, recently, I was talking with somebody who works for a company that they had to let an employee go. And in the process of letting the employee go, the employee being embarrassed wants to somehow validate her firing. And so what she's actually doing now is turning it around and turning it into a medical lawsuit for unsafe work practices, which weren't unsafe at all. But in, in failure, what she's doing is she's stepping back and trying to point blame on someone else. In fact, what she's doing to make up for uh, this scenario is to cast dishonor onto someone else. You know, it's fascinating how we do this. And I'll say that I'm guilty of doing this. I don't think I grew up in a culture of dishonor, but in the moment that something breaks down, the important thing to do is step back and throw somebody under the bus. You know what I'm talking about? 
You, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. You know, and I was really, really challenged. You know, I've watched people who go through a terrible divorce. And again, real life happens. But I watch what happens when they get remarried. And in a day and age of, of social media, the post looks something like this. Their Instagram picture with their new spouse, Christmas holidays. You know, there's 4,000 pictures taken, but this one, they look like they love each other so much. The lighting's just right. I sucked in my belly. I fixed my posture. All of those things, right? Come on. Look good. Look good. And then the statement that follows says it all. I thank God so much that I finally have somebody who will respect me and treat me like I deserve in my life. I've read more posts like that. And not just over issues like that, but all sorts of issues. I thank God that I'm finally at a good job, someone who appreciates the work that I do. I thank God that I'm in a good church. Mm, oh, he went there. Yes, he did. I thank God that I finally have some good members. Oh, that doesn't fly quite so well now, does it? <laughs> um, you know, it's even in, can happen, be careful how you post in elections as the cycles go. I, 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 I just want to make it clear. I'm very political and privately, you know, I have no problem sharing with you how I feel. I definitely publicly recommend that we vote. Uh, we always honor our presidents, our vice presidents. We, we pray for our government. There's no perfect world, but we know that if Daniel could reach Nebuchadnezzar uh, and could reach Cyrus and Artaxerxes and Darius and, and the people that were invaded and stolen away and imprisoned are sent back now with the resources to rebuild their city, I'm going to tell you what, you don't have to have the right guy voted in. You need to reach the guy who was voted in. That's just the way this thing works. Christianity works that way. You know, what I'd be very careful about is this repetition of the sides that keeps happening in our culture. Do you know that the last election, we heard that it was a illegitimate election? And there was a crowd chanting how illegitimate it was. And if you were on the winning side, you stood back and said, ah, just shut up. That's just sour grapes. How strange when it gets turned on the other side. Am I messing with your world right now? Now, listen, but... While I am messing with your world, I run through those very real emotions. But to feel like that if my guy got, doesn't get in, it's over, is to cut God out of the equation. As believers, we are called to be the salt of this world, and it's an imperfect world. God doesn't need a perfect government to do his best work. I'm going to tell you what. God is not barred from showing up up in Seattle Okay, into the governor's mansion. He's not. Don't talk like he is. Don't talk like, but I'm going to tell you what, you have prophetic power in what you say. Ah, oh, this world's going to hell. Let me tell you something. We're going to see revival happen. I'm believing God for his best. God's doing great things. While I am intensely on fire from 2020 and all that's happened, God's purposes in the imperfect still remain first in line for what he's doing. Yes. A lot of the words that come out of your mouth, if, if your guy won or lost, temper your words, okay, and declare God's kingdom moving forward. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'm just going to move on. You know, it's, it's so tough in the world that we live in. My gosh, we've had... I don't want to get on a rabbit trail, but man, I had a conversation. We've actually had some people leave our church because I'm too political and because I'm not political enough. 
What, what on earth am I supposed to do? I guess I get a Trump and Biden sticker on my face. I can make everybody mad, and it could just be me, okay? And then I would be upset at myself, okay. Um, where was I on this old mess? You know what? Um, while, while we see, how am I doing time-wise? While we, see, while we see Joseph really value the truth, the truth of, was my wife faithful? Was she not faithful? What does God's word say? The fact that he didn't throw her under the, I'm telling you, I didn't do anything wrong. She's pregnant. She says it was the Holy Spirit. She's crazy. Uh, I'm going back for the census. You stay here. Want to have nothing to do with it. She's been messing around. She is nuts, bats, weirdo, okay? And post that over parlor even. Uh, post, post it on Facebook, wherever you can post it. Okay, put it out there. And yet, I've got this great scripture that it applies in our lifetime. Rather, speaking the truth in love. It's an incredible balance. I tend to be a truth, I lean into truth. It's, it's the right thing. But truth not balanced with love causes us to take the right thing and use it as a machete and cop, chop people in half. Now, being overbalanced in the love section says, oh, it doesn't matter what we do. Just as long as we get along, it's all about embracing people. Don't tell the truth, it'll drive them away. Right? That's completely imbalanced. Speaking the truth in love. It means building a relationship with people so that they know that they're loved, so that the moment you have to call them out on truth, or sometimes we think about stop doing that. Sometimes truth is speaking to someone and saying, you are a son of God. Stop acting like you are some second-rate citizen over here in the corner. Declaring truth, truth, truth builds us towards a better future. And so we earn the right to be able to speak truth based on Loving people. And so what I've had to do, because I'm so, I lean so far this way into truth, I'm constantly having to adjust. And sometimes I actually over-adjust. And so it's trying to find that balance, truth and love. And what I love about Joseph, man, he shoots right down the center of the road. He doesn't want to expose her publicly. He even takes her to his home. Like, you know, his family is talking, but he wants her to be honored in his world. He speaks the truth and love. He was going to put her away privately, but now he's found out that this crazy bat story that he's heard from her is actually true. And he's willing to live under the moniker of that ridiculous story because it is true no matter what anybody says. I'll stand by you, sweetheart. We're going to go together. My family doesn't have room and the inn's full. I'll be with you there in the manger. Man, that is like... That's powerful. We live in a throwaway society where people throw one another away for the most stupid things. Okay. Um, let me finish with this. You don't, you don't have to. I still got a little. Do I have, still have a couple minutes? Yeah. I'm like I'm scaring the worst. They're like, what? You're early? Let me just finish with this point, which means I got 20 more minutes going. Um, and I'll just finish with this, this, this thought. You know, it's the testing of convictions it's the, it's the burn. It's the burn of the fire of that test that actually is the thing that strengthens what's within you and demonstrates your reliability. Uh, some great, great verses here I'll read in just a second, but anybody ever bought a garbage tool at uh, Harbor Freight? Like it's like a $400 tool, but you got it for $10 because you only need to use it one time. You get it to the house, and you begin to put that wrench on that bolt. And as you pull, you can see the wrench actually bending and stretching. And you're praying the whole time, dear God, just help it to hold up, 
hold together just long enough to do it this one time. It's the jack that you bought. And it's like, you're not sure it's going to hold the car up, so you send your brother-in-law under the car, and you're like, I'm praying the whole time. And it's like, starting to, you're like, ah! Now, you didn't want to go to Snap-on and buy the $5,000 jack that would have been reliable. There's this thing in, 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 in the building of tools. It's the idea of hardening and also tempering. Uh, see, steel or metal itself, when it's first built, it's actually a fairly soft alloy. And it would bend. It wouldn't hold its shape. It wouldn't be able to turn anything. But they uh, engage it in intense heat, get it red hot, that metal, and then douse it quickly in a pail of water. And it does something called hardening. It's a real quick process. Get this thing glowing hot, dip it in the water, and then boom, as it cools off, it has gone from being bendable to actually being incredibly hard. And it's, 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 it, it's done back and forth a number of times to develop the hardness. Now, those micro bursts remind me of temptations, those quick moments where, you know, as dating couple engaged, Rowena experienced many, many times as we dated. It's that intense passion for the person you're about to marry, <laughs> like overcome with passion. And that burn of that passion and me like, no, sister, we're men and women of God. And that was the cold water. And there is a, a hardening of resolve that happens. There a strengthening that takes place, a development. But there's a problem with just that type of overcoming, just that type of problem, because in the hardening of steel, it actually can make it brittle. And so there's a thing called tempering. And tempering is after you've gone through the hardening process, you take the steel, you put it in the kiln, you bring it up to a certain temperature that is incredibly hot, and then you let it cool naturally over a period of time. And what it does is it marries the hardness also now with strength so that it's no longer brittle. It's actually hard, but it has a little bit of flexibility so that you don't pull on the wrench and it just snaps, cracks like ice. And I believe that that's the longer-term difficult moments. I, I honestly believe 2020 is a part of the tempering process in believers' lives. Amen. It is a litmus test. It is a gate. It is a preparatory time for people to really determine what do you really believe? Where do you really stand on that? What do you really value? And, and we, can, we can have somewhat different belief systems, but being tempered in that to navigate forward to be able to reach people. Um, you notice that Jesus, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, you got to understand the, the true picture of what Christ experienced. Again, as his birth, so his life and his death, we have a tendency to over-romanticize it. But Jesus faced these same tempering moments where the burn of, do you really believe that? Wasn't like he was Wonder Woman just bouncing the bullets off of his bracelets, we get this picture that he just, he was tempted and they bounced off him like a Kevlar suit. Scripture here teaches us, for because he himself suffered when tempted. Suffered. It's Rowena as we were engaged, right? It's like, it's, it's, in all seriousness, it is the burn of your convictions being tested. Or the long, slow heat that we've experienced through this season. Also Luke 2, 22, verses 44, it says, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Let me point out, though, it's the navigating through this that prepares 
Joseph to step in to the great moments that are ahead, navigating through many more years of being a husband, being a father, being a businessman. He's not talked about a lot in scripture, but he is one of the most uh, honored men in all of history because he was a hard worker, he honored marriage, and he honored people. And that's a recipe for a great life for you as well. Why don't you stand with me, read a final scripture, and we're going to sing, I think, a Christmas song, the worship team, okay? Um, John chapter 16, verse 13, I want to invite you just for the next moment to, to reach into the kind of into the, the, the kiln of your own soul, the furnace of your own soul, where your convictions are being tested, where they're being fired. Normally we want to pull ourselves out of the, out of the fire, but I want to challenge you to allow yourself to experience the burn of your convictions being tested, but to recognize what's going on in those moments. That actually in these moments, there's a, a thing that's being built within you a thing that's being built for your future, a thing that's being built for your preparation, a thing that's being developed. There's goals ahead. When we talk so often here in our church family about the best, God has your best life available to you. It's different than my best life. But when we talk about that, there's this idea of getting there requires my participation, not just my availability, but that I arrive there having been shaped according to his scalpel. It's one of the beautiful things about pastoring people is this watching people grow, actually seeing them grow. They used to believe and act a certain way, and now they've stepped up as God has dealt with them, challenged them with the truth, and their conviction kiln got fired up, and they said, oh yeah, I say yes to what God is saying, and they take a step forward, and we watch them before our very own eyes be perfected. Maybe not as mean. That's a value. They're more loving. They're more generous, more sacrificial. They love their enemy. You know, there's these steps that we take, and they're beautiful steps. They don't happen automatically. They're tested by fire. The Holy Spirit, he comes and he reveals truth. He shows us what the Father wants us to know, and we find ourselves responding to that. And if you, you're here today, either at home or you're here in the room, you're like, I, 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 I want to grow. I want to become the man or woman that God wants me to be. This is the process you sign up for. It's what you say yes to. It's not just coming to church. If you just come and hear the word and don't respond, not much happens. But if that's you, I want you just where you're standing, maybe close your eyes and raise your hands. And let me pray over you. Father, thank you for sending your son. What a beautiful picture. He was submerged in, into a very imperfect setting. What a great, great earthly father he had. Honorable, respectful. Loved you, loved his friends, loved his family, loved his spouse, loved a son that wasn't actually his. Worked hard, so many things that we see. Honoring in a culture that dishonors. Lord, I ask right now that you will help me, us, to step into places where we allow our convictions, what we believe to be tested, and we come out the other side, having been perfected in your image. 
disciples changed. We're no longer the boisterous Peter. We're now the man of faith. We're no longer Paul, the Saul, Saul, the man killing Christians. Now we're Paul, the man building the church. Because we hear from you and we believe you and then it is tested and we pass the test. We pray these things. Help us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. It's awesome. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, leaders, and what we do at C3 Church, visit our website at c3swwa.com.